So this morning, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our series, Heart of Worship. And as you will recall, we're building it on what Greg Lingle talked about in his previous series, series being a Jesus follower. And we're a Jesus follower when we believe three things. That we should abide in Christ on an ongoing basis. That we belong to the body of Christ. And that we should be involved in the body of Christ even from afar at this point. And that we impact the world around us and we figure out ways to do that the word of God is not shackled because we're in homes uh, God his word is going out uh, throughout the throughout the universe uh, throughout the world at least uh, not the universe uh, and so uh, in order to have an abide focus we need to have a God focus if we're going to abide in Christ we need to, that focuses up on God if we're going to belong to one another a community focus impact that means we have a people focus even broader than uh, just uh, the body of believers now in this heart of worship that catches two of those the idea of abiding and belonging that we abide in Christ and we worship him and we worship God but we do it with other believers, not just on our own. We do it with other believers in our home. We do it with other believers who are online. And so it has these two elements, this idea of abiding and belonging, this idea of, of staying in, in Christ, this idea of belonging to the body of Christ. Now, as one of the questions that I had for this week as I was wrestling with this is, why is worship so important at this time? Why is it that we focus on worship? Why, why not focus on something else like uh, uh, our needs or the things that we're struggling with uh, in terms of uh, 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 different uh, uh, financial issues or different worries or different fears or so many things that we could address at a time like this? Well, as I was looking at the book of 1 Peter, I realized this is a book that talks about three key issues. It talks about our salvation and starts in chapter one. In fact, a beautiful phrase here that he is, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfailing, kept in heaven for you. And I'm like, wow, we have this reserved seat in heaven. When a person receives Christ as their savior, they have a reserved seat in, in heaven. And, and it's all because a person just puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this idea, it starts with salvation. And then he moves on to submission, that we submit to the Lord. We submit to one another. Uh, and, and we submit to this idea of even uh, what we were called, we submit to suffering. And then he goes and the rest of the book deals with this idea of suffering. And I thought, wow, the whole book of 1 Peter is dealing with this idea or kind of moving toward the movement of the book is toward suffering. And so if you are suffering today, or if you are dealing with some of those things, just know it starts with our salvation. The great salvation that God has given us in Jesus Christ. That when a person believes in Christ, they have a, a place reserved in heaven, kept in heaven for you. 
I think, wow, we need to start there. If you've never received Christ as your savior and you're moving toward thinking about suffering, then that's the place to start. It's the gospel of our salvation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the mercies of God that are all talked about in that first chapter. And then he moves into the second chapter, and this, this is where we're going to be now, is this idea of, of uh, what God has called us to. He says in chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 4, because the first few verses are kind of still part of, uh, uh, of chapter 1, still focused on some of those ideas, newborn infants, long for the pure milk of the word so that you, by it you may grow up into salvation and then he says, if indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. So those are kind of finishing up the idea of this great salvation. And this great salvation, the focus is, you come to Christ, now let's grow up. Let's grow up into him. And how do we do that? We do that, says, as you come to him, verse, three, uh, verse 4 of 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable God to God through Jesus Christ. And so you look at this idea of, he, he moves into this idea that we are a priesthood of believers. That we have been given something different that we it is not the same as it was that you and I are priests of God now we typically think of that in regard to uh, our uh, uh, that there's a clergy and a lady we we typically make that distinction in in regard to our our uh, 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 spiritual side of our life we think that uh, there are people that are called to be in the ministry and those are the clergy or those are the priests and, and those are the ones that do all the religious stuff. And then there's the rest of us, uh, the ones who sit in the pew, the rank and file, and, and that we just kind of rely on those who have had all the training and have been ordained and, and they will lead us spiritually. But Peter says, no, there's, there's something more to that that you are a holy priesthood in fact in verse 9 it says but you are a chosen race a royal peace priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own possession and so you think wow that's what he has called us to when I receive Jesus Christ as my savior there's about 200 things that happen in my life and of these 200 things that happen uh, one of those is I become a priest and you become a priest that every believer is a priest of God. I mean, that should blow your mind because we typically think, well, a priest is the one who wears all the robes and makes the sacrifices on the altar. In fact, we have the picture of the Old Testament worship system where the altar is there and the animal or the wine or the grain or the uh, bird is, is sacrificed to atone for sins. But the reality is that never atoned for sins. The author of Hebrews picks up on that idea. And he says that it, in Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then, if you back up a little bit from that statement, he says, for since the law 
has but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And so the law was never able to satisfy this need for an atonement of sin. And that's why Jesus came. And in fact, what was the purpose of the law then? The purpose of the law was to be a tutor to teach us about Christ, to teach us of our, of our sinfulness and our need for an atonement, but our need for someone who is not guilty, someone who is innocent. A guilty person can never atone for their own sins. A guilty person that is found guilty before the law will be taken into the court of law and in that court of law they are condemned and then they are taken into jail. And while they're in jail, they don't have a U-Haul and bring all their stuff from home and their you know, computers and their CD, uh, uh, CDs or whatever it is that they, they have with them. They don't bring all that stuff with them. They got nothing. In fact, they issue you your clothing. The person who's innocent has everything before the law. They are the one that... that could go to a jailer even and say, uh, I want you to lock me up. And they say, what are you guilty of? Nothing. And they would laugh you out of the building. It takes an innocent one to be able to take the place of someone who is guilty before the law. And Jesus was that innocent one who died on a cross for us so that he could take the place of us. And he could switch places with us. And that's the beauty of that, that picture there of, um, of, of this idea of substitution that he substituted in our place. Well, interestingly today, in our culture, 44% of Americans believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man and that he, was, he sinned. 44%, only 41%, less than that, 41% say that he's fully God and fully man and that he did not sin. Now, if it takes an innocent sacrifice, then a guilty Jesus would never satisfy and atone for our sins. And so he couldn't be our savior. It had to be a sinless sacrifice. It had to be someone who, who was innocent, and Jesus was that. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 agrees with the author there, agrees with the 41% where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7 talks about this idea of a sinless sacrifice when it says that for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest the idea of a priesthood that Jesus is a priest holy innocent unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all when he offered himself up and so there's this idea here that Jesus uh, uh, offered himself because he didn't need to die for himself first. And so he only died for us. He died in our place. So if Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins and that he didn't need to die for himself and his atonement is sufficient. And in fact, we find in 1 Peter Part of the context of our passage. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Here Jesus died once for all. So if he died once for all and we are called priests, what is our job? Because the job's already done. Is our job as priests, a priesthood of God, those who are a royal priesthood, those who are a holy priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2, if that's our job, or if that's who we are, then what is our job? We need to understand the passage. And so let's talk about it a little bit. He starts off in verse 4 and says, as you come to him. As you come to him. I want to stop at that. That we are designed to come to him. That whole idea of abiding is that we come and we continually come to him. And that's the idea of this phrase here. It's a present progressive. It's come and keep coming. So you come for the first time. You receive Jesus as your savior. And then you become this priest, this holy priesthood. And then you keep coming to him. If we are going to grow up into our salvation, if we are going to deal with suffering in such a way that as, as uh, Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you, if we're going to do that, then we first and foremost have to be worshipers. We have to be those who come to him. We have to first and foremost be those who are abiding in him. Because that's the key. That's the key to, to dealing with everything that we're dealing with. All this, this quarantine, all this COVID-19 stuff, all these fears that we have, all these struggles that we have, trying to have a family, having to work, having to teach our kids and be the teacher and be all in all in one home and struggles and the stresses that that brings. If we're going to deal with all of that, the place we start is with our salvation, First Peter 1. And the place that we move is we grow up into him. And we do that by coming to him. We just come to him. Just come to him. Why would we come to him? Because the very phrase that he tells us before this is, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's, he's quoting Psalm 34 here. In fact, I think he must have been having his quiet times in Psalm 34 because in chapter 3, he quotes Psalm 34 again in a longer passage in verses 10, 11, and 12. And he tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is the Lord good? Amen. Is the Lord good? Yes, he is. The Lord is good. We have a good Lord. Our God is love. Our God is holy. Our God is good. He is goodness itself. He is the very definition of goodness. His character is good. And so we have a God who is good and he wants us to come to him. And when we understand who he is and what he can do, instead of being angry at him, and we understand that he is good, it causes us to want to come to him. So as you come to him, a living stone. And this idea of a stone is a picture in the Old Testament of the Messiah. The Messiah is the stone. You see that in Isaiah 8, verse 14, where it talks about the stumbling stone. And he quotes that in our verse 8. So he's is, is the stumbling stone. Here in verse 4, he comes to him, a living stone rejected, the rejected stone. And we see that also in the quote that he has uh, there in verse 7. He is the cornerstone or the foundation stone. We see that he quotes from Isaiah 
28, when he says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so there's this idea that we believe in Jesus, that he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of our faith. So he's the foundation and we begin to build. Do we begin to build? No. God begins to build. Because notice what it says. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now the picture of the spiritual house that people would have had in their minds when this was written would be this house. This temple of God, this temple that, that was still there and seven years after he was, after the, the uh, passage uh, or this book was written, um, this temple was torn down by the Romans. But they would have had in mind this temple. And what this temple was, you are. Because in 1 Corinthians, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So we are not, we are the temple of God, but we are also not only the temple of God, we are the priests of God that serve in that temple. So God has designed us in our lives to be these priests that are offering worship to God, that we're offering sacrifices to God, because that's after all what a priest does, right? Offer sacrifices, and that's what we see the passage says. It says, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices. So that's the role of priests. Now, if you, if you look at different churches in our day, different modern churches, you'll see some are built around an altar. You see this in Catholic churches, Episcopalian churches, and in other churches where they have a huge altar that's, that's usually made of marble or something that's very ornate and beautiful that they have right in the dead center of their, um, uh, their stage. And their focus is the altar, and the focus is communion, and the focus is this sacrifice that Jesus has made. And that's a great focus. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, is that our only focus? Is our focus supposed to be Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, and then uh, uh, we just think about our salvation and we just feel good about it whenever we, or is there something that's supposed to happen as a result? Are there further sacrifices that are based on that sacrifices that we as uh, God's priests are supposed to make? And it's apparently that we are because he says we're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. We know it's not going to be for atonement for sin because we just looked at those passages. We just looked at the fact that animal sacrifices weren't sufficient. Anything that we do as works isn't sufficient. And so we got to go back and ask ourselves the question, what are these spiritual sacrifices that Peter's talking about? Well, we find a little bit out of verse 9 where he calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that. Now the word that tells us what we're supposed to do. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there's this idea that, that we are, are supposed to be offering this idea of proclamation, 
proclamation of the excellencies of Christ. And so when we look at that, we find, okay, that's a first step. That's a first offering. But what are some of the other offerings that we might, should be offering? In the Old Testament, we see in Psalm 50, it says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And you think, wait a minute, that typically the thought there was that this would be an animal sacrifice or something to go along with it in the Old Testament, it did. The New Testament picks up this language of sacrifice. And in this language of sacrifice, it talks about how uh, we are to uh, do different things in terms of our own spiritual life. This uh, the first one would be in Romans 12, verse 1. And you see this whole list of spiritual sacrifices. Every one of these uh, passages uh, carry the idea that uh, there is an idea of sacrifice. The very first one we'll look at is Romans 12, 1. In Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's the idea of worship. Here's the idea of a, this Paul is appealing to believers in Rome. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to be someone who, who gives themselves first and foremost to God. A living sacrifice, presenting your bodies. Uh, uh, and so this idea of obedience is carried in that idea. If I'm going to offer myself to God, I'm willing to do whatever he asked me to do. I mean, think about that. Are you willing to say, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say to the person you want me to say it to. If it's to offer forgiveness, I'll, offer, I'll ask for forgiveness. If it's to, to uh, share the gospel, I'll share the gospel. And it scares us to say that. It scares us to, to uh, tell God that we'll do those things. But what, basically what it's saying is, God, whatever you've said in your word, whatever you've spoken to me, that I will do. I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do. That's a huge thing. That's a huge ask by God. That's a huge statement on our part. And I, when I was uh, in Israel, uh, in the southern part, in a place called uh, uh, Arad, uh, I, there was this large altar and so I, I laid down on the altar and I had someone take a picture because I was thinking, here is a living sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice on an altar in Israel. And the thing about a living sacrifice is that we keep wanting to crawl off the altar. We find ourselves saying yes to the Lord and then we kind of crawl off the altar and we're saying, uh, maybe not. I'm not so sure, Lord, that I want to do that for you. I'm, I'm not so sure I, I want uh, to, to speak to this friend of mine or this neighbor or about the gospel. Lord, the, the, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to they're gonna think something of me. They may not be my friend anymore. And in fact, you know, it's interesting because Peter talks about that in, later in, in the passage. He says, but uh, in verse uh, chapter four, it says, um, uh, Beloved, be, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And it says in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so there's this idea that, that we, as we offer ourselves and we say, God, I'm willing to speak about your name, 
that there may be trial that comes. There may be people that reject us and we're suffering this, sharing in the sufferings of Christ in those moments. I know that I was in a, in a uh, uh, Sunday school class years ago and, and uh, we talked about Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 and about how we need to, if somebody's offended us or if we've offended somebody, it's up to us on both cases to go and talk to that person. And one of the things that a person in the group said, we, went, we looked at both those passages, we discussed it for about 20 minutes. And, the per, and then one person just looked at it and said, I can't do that. And, I, and it just caught me, it caught me up short. I thought, Lord, do I do that to you? Do I say, Lord, I can't do that? Because of something hard in the word? Or do I say, Lord, whatever you ask from me, I will do. No matter how hard, no matter how tough, whether, no matter whether I like it, no matter what it costs me, Lord, I will do whatever you ask me to do. You see, that's what I think Romans 12, 1 is talking about. That I offer myself as a living sacrifice. Will I crawl off the altar at times? Yeah, sure, sure. Will there be times that I tell the Lord no? I have. And what do I do? I come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have told you no. I will tell you yes. I will continue to. And you keep coming to him. It's that idea that if I'm going to grow up into him, that means that I grow up from immaturity to maturity. And it means that there's going to be some immature responses. And I say, no, I'm not going to keep living like that anymore. I'm going to live a mature lifestyle as a believer in Christ. And that means I keep coming to him. And I just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. That I may grow up into him. And, it, and that's the picture there, is this growing up into him, growing up to be like Jesus. Because notice it says, a living stone, as you come to him, a living stone, talking about Jesus, and then it gives all these qualifiers about who Jesus is. And it says, you yourselves like living stones. So what is the picture of the image there? That I'm going to be a little reflection of the living stone. That we're going to be reflections in the plural, living stones. Together, we're going to reflect Christ. And it's that that's going to be built up. It's he, the one that's going to build us. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's not me building Mansfield Bible Church or us building an online following or any of that. It's Jesus saying, I will build my church. He says, upon this rock. Well, what rock is he talking about? Well, the Messiah is the rock. The Messiah is the stone. He wasn't talking about Peter in, that, in Matthew 16. He was talking about himself. He was talking about the message on this rock, on myself, on the message that a person believes on Christ. That's what the church is going to be built on, and Christ is going to build it. He's the one that's building into my life. I don't make myself a better Christian. What I do is I submit myself more to him. And say, Lord, I messed up here. And we confess our sin and we come back to him. And we keep coming back. Lord, I messed up again. But I know that you are good and I know that you are forgiving. And Lord, help me not to mess up one more time. Give me strength so that I step forward and I begin to grow up into him. And I don't make and repeat those same immature mistakes. And so I grow up into him. So that's one sacrifice that we see. Another sacrifice that we see is we find in Romans 15, 16. And it is the idea of the gospel. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service. And there's that idea of priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles, and what is he talking about offering of the Gentiles? They come to Jesus Christ because he shared the gospel with them as his priestly service. And they may be acceptable, that same idea that's here that's acceptable in the sight of God, acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so when we share our faith, 
we are offering as a priest what we're supposed to offer to God. And it's acceptable to him. We look at another passage in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and 15 it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. When we are worshiping, when we're singing these praises, and we are voicing together in different locations, but we're voicing the truths about Christ, the truths about God and our salvation, then we are offering up this offering of praise. It's like the picture is the picture of the incense that's raising up before God. You see that in, in the Old Testament and Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, the re repetition of the law. Uh, you see that in Exodus, this idea that they had an altar of incense that was continually burning and continually offering up this fragrant aroma to God. We also see in Hebrews chapter 13, the very next verse, it says, do not neglect in doing good and sharing what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So when we do good, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are reflecting God's goodness when we do good. So whenever somebody is, is missing uh, food, when somebody else needs help, Father, uh, when somebody else... Uh, is uh, uh, needs what we have to offer. We're doing good and we're sharing what we have. We share our food. We share the things that, that we can. We take food to someone who's, who's house uh, bound. We, we mow their yards. We do what they need. As we do those things, we are participating as priests of God. In Philippians chapter four and verse 18, he says, I received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So they, they're giving to Paul a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There that is that idea uh, that I talked about earlier of this fragrant aroma, this, this idea of the incense going up to God and then our giving. And so you look at the gospel. You looked at the praise of the lips, doing good and sharing, giving. And then we also look at Philippians 2.17. Paul pouring his life out for the Philippians. He says, even if I'm being poured out as a dream offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, my goal, my role is to offer myself to do whatever needs to be done so that you will grow in your faith. And so this idea of discipleship, this idea of mentoring carries the idea that we are offering ourselves to God. Our role as priests is a role that as we begin to carry out, it causes God uh, to be honored and glorified. In fact, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when I'm doing my job as a priest, what happens is I'm proclaiming his excellencies. I'm demonstrating his goodness by my being good and doing good. I demonstrate his giving by my giving. With God's generosity by my sharing what I have. With the Christ's salvation for us that reserves a place in heaven that's this incredible salvation born again to a living hope which is what we need at times like this is that living hope and we have it in Jesus and we have that living hope and so our first step is to come to him 
We come to him once for salvation. We come to him often to grow up into him. And so I want to encourage you to ask yourself the question, where are you right now? Where, where do you stand? Have you received Christ as your savior? Have you taken that living hope? Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Because he says here, it's kept in heaven for you. This inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you have that inheritance in heaven? Do you have the assurance of that? Because if you don't, keep going back to this passage. If you've received Christ, then you have an inheritance that's kept in heaven. You have a reserve seat in heaven. You have assurance that you'll be with him. Come to him and keep coming to him often. Abide in him. And as we do, we will become those who grow up into him. And we don't remain infants any longer. We grow up into him because we begin to experience his goodness. And we, as his priests, we live a life that glorifies and honors him and draws attention right back to him so that others will be drawn to his goodness. We are to taste and see that the Lord is good. And as a result, when we do, we'll find great blessing. Don't just stay where you're at. Grow in him. This is a great opportunity, this time as we're uh, sequestered away from one another to grow in him. Now, some of you are busier than you've ever been before, and it may be a future time where you are able to focus more and have more undivided uh, time. But if you're at that moment now, and you're not in a, uh, you don't have other things that uh, your your time is slower, I should say, then take time. Take some of that time. Don't just watch Netflix and don't just do everything else. Take some time for undivided attention toward God. Come to him. Focus on him. Reflect on him. And decide which of these areas do you need to grow up in. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's doing good. Maybe it's sharing. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Step into him. Follow him. Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you for your incredible love and grace towards us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he accomplished on the cross for us. That he provided for us a salvation that is great. A salvation that is a living hope. A salvation that reserves our inheritance in heaven. Father, we thank you for what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we pray that you would guide us us to be growing up into him father i pray that we'd be a people that come to him and keep coming we'd be a people that abide in you and keep abiding and that i know that that will give us the strength for what we face in terms of suffering because that's what peter goes on to talk about next and he lays this foundation for us father help us to build uh, or to allow you to build upon this foundation that has been laid in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'd respond to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.